Hey, I'm Mike Bruce, the founder and CEO of Visible. As you scale your company, having the right guides at your side can make all of the difference. Each episode, we'll talk to fellow founders, investors, and experts. We'll dive into their zone of genius, as well as hear about their past mistakes to give you a better chance of success. This podcast is for founders by founders. This is the Founders Forward. Welcome everyone to the Founders Forward fundraising series. My name is Matt and I'm on the team here at Visible. We've been kicking around this idea of a serialized podcast where we interview a founder on a weekly or recurring basis that's currently going through a fundraise. And the idea behind that is we view fundraising as an asymmetric experience. So on one hand, you have investors that are seeing hundreds, if not thousands of deals in a given year. And on the flip side, you have a founder um, especially at the pre-seed or seed stage that it's likely their first time going through a fundraiser. They maybe have gone through a handful of fundraisers in their life. So we're, we're hoping by interviewing someone going through a fundraise, we'll be able to clear their mindset, their psyche, any learnings, any road bumps, and hopefully um, uncover some tactical takeaways that other founders going through their first fundraise can use. And that brings us to Jonathan Gandalf. Jonathan is the founder of The Juice. Um, he actually reached out to our CEO and myself a couple weeks ago, basically said, Hey, I'm going into my first fundraise. Visible has been an awesome resource, which we love to hear. But specifically, he said, Visible has been an incredible resource that has added some clarity to a world that seems so intentionally vague, which I think is spot on. That kind of struck a chord with us. Um, fundraising certainly feels like a black box if you're not in it day to day. So we figured who better to kind of test this podcast idea with than Jonathan. Thankfully, he uh, agreed to jump on. So Jonathan, welcome. How you doing? I'm doing well. I feel like everything I do right now in my professional life is a experiment. Uh, so this fits right in. I'm excited <laughs> to share a little bit of our journey and uh, thanks for having us. Awesome. Yeah. Hopefully this turns into something valuable for other founders down the road. To get things started, would love to just dig into your background a little bit. I was looking at LinkedIn seems pretty interesting. How'd you go from operator to founder and, and what's taking you to um, start the juice? Yeah, I've had a, a little bit of a winding career path, although always in marketing. So I started my career at Exact Target. was really fortunate for that opportunity. Uh, I knew it was unique at the time. I don't think I understood quite how unique that experience was. Uh, even a little bit of serendipity there. Uh, when I started, Exact Target was growing extremely quickly, running out of physical space. Uh, physical office space and they didn't have any office space left with i think very intentionally uh with the exception of right outside of scott dorsey's office um and so the new guy they shoved me right out there i started my career about 20 feet from his desk right outside his office uh just very informally got to know each other you know going to the printer going to the kitchen those sorts of things and that would have eventually come full circle. So I, I stayed at Exact Target through the Salesforce acquisition. I was happy there. I had a side project that became too real, too fast, and too big. Uh, and that was starting a craft brewery with some friends uh, out of Cincinnati. And uh, we did that. Uh, we took it from pre-revenue to almost $10 million in annual revenue. Um, Scott Dorsey stayed involved. Uh, it was actually a venture-backed um business, uh, very different than traditional software venture backing, but very capital intensive business nonetheless. So uh, we stayed in touch there. Um, I was there about four years, loved the experience, having a ton of fun, but didn't want to make a career of the beer industry. 
and uh, jumped back into software at a local healthcare analytics, uh, national, but based locally in Indy, um, healthcare analytics platform called Springbuck, where I led marketing and business development. I was there about two years, was really happy. Um, Scott Dorsey called me in March of 2020, which was certainly an interesting time, kind of when the world came to a halt. And uh, he, he asked me if I'd be interested in high alpha opportunities. And I remember telling him, I'm really happy where I'm at, but I'm always going to take your call, right? And uh, I remember he ended the call by saying that that's great to hear because we like to hire really happy people. <laughs> and that's what makes him so good is I walked right into the trap that he so eloquently, <laughs> eloquently set. And uh, I ended up joining uh, with this uh, studio company opportunity in July of 2020. So it's been, uh, we spent uh, several months in stealth mode and then really began launching the business in January of this year. And it's been, I'm learning a lot along the way, as I hinted at at the start of the podcast, I'm excited to share some of those learnings with you and the listeners here. I want to get back into the juice in a second, but entirely unrelated out of curiosity. So you're at Braxton, I saw that, and I'm from the Midwest, so I'm familiar. I think they have a pretty strong brand presence, but what's the key in like the craft beer industry to stand out? It feels like there's so many breweries now. When you go into the aisle, it's overwhelming. Was there any branding or marketing key to success there? Yeah, when we started in 2014, we started working on the brand. At that time, so many um, craft beer brands were just a label on a can or, or a bottle. And that's really all that the brand was, was just a logo. Three Floyds is a classic example here in the yep. Midwest. Um, you know, their brand didn't extend much beyond the label and they were really successful. So we were very intentional. We had digital marketing backgrounds. Uh, so we started Braxton, our our um, ethos was born in a garage, and we wanted that to mean both the blue-collar hard work that comes with earning a beer at the end of a, hard, a day of hard work, as well as the white-collar innovation that happens in a garage and entrepreneurship. So we launched uh, leaning into our tech background with a mobile app, a uh, free gigabit Wi-Fi in the tap room, and we actually opened at 8 a.m. Tuesday through Friday and used the space as co-working. So we really placed a bet on uh, the growing tech industry and growing craft beer industry and that the Venn diagram of those two things, that there were a lot of people in that overlap that we could appeal to. And it, it worked. We, uh, we had a record setting Kickstarter program. Um, and then we, we grew the business extremely quickly. It was, it was wild. Uh, still looking back on it, it feels a little bit surreal, but yeah, that uh, awesome. we, we placed a bet on brand and it worked out. Yeah. I love that. The ethos is awesome. That the blue yeah. collar and white collar, but yeah, um, I could talk about craft beer all day, but getting back to the juice. So what is it? I'm not going to butcher it myself. I've been getting um, the newsletter from you guys for, I think, a couple months now. It's awesome. Um, any marketers listening, check it out. But just from you directly, what is the juice and, and kind of how'd you start it or why'd you start it? The juice is a B2B content discovery platform. So that's a lot of words uh, and it's very uh, classic B2B tech to say you're like something for something else. We want to be like Spotify or Netflix for professional resources. So everything we do as consumers is curated for us, whether it's news, TV, music, movies. The extreme example I like to give is dating. You can open an app and other human beings are literally curated into your life. Yep. It sounds crazy to say out loud and like you're laughing. Yeah, I get really that reaction all the time. But it's second. It's so second nature to us that we don't even think twice about it. But then in the B2B world, we put content on our website and hope our audience finds it. And so how do they find it? Typically, it's a Google search. 
and you're not getting good content, you're getting the people with the deepest ad budgets or the most sophisticated SEO programs. If they do find what, if they do find content on your website, a lot of times marketers, I've been guilty of this in my past, are putting it behind a, a gated experience and uh, a lot of people abandon that or they fill it out with fake information. So it's just, it's a really, it's an old school playbook we've been running in the B2B space for 15, 20 years. And so we want to bring that familiar like consumer experience of a curated platform to the B2B space. So uh, we'll bring content, uh, we'll bring brands um, and their content onto our platform and then uh, independent or individual content consumers onto the platform. And based on what we know about our consumers from their profile, we'll curate the right content for them. So if you're a VP of marketing, we're going to show you content that's relevant to the VP of marketing role. Or if you're a director of sales, we'll automatically curate sales content um, to you. So that's a, that's the vision. Um, and we think there's a massive opportunity. It's a little bit unique because of the marketplace dynamic, but um, we we're trying to build a really big audience of content consumers. And we, we believe a lot of marketers will um, seek out that audience uh, once, once it's on the platform. Love it. So is it, would you consider it more of a marketplace or like a typical SaaS business model or both? Um, both. Uh, I, so marketplace, there's a supply side and a demand side. A lot of times marketplace to me implies that there's a transaction happening and there's not between uh, the two sides of our platform. So when we get brands on our platform, that's very much a classic B2B SaaS playbook. Uh, and then it's a, paired with like a very classic B2C playbook of growing a, a user base um, for a platform. So it's actually been a little bit unique. I didn't expect this going in, but I've I've been able to lean on both my B2B experience in digital marketing and marketing leadership, as well as my craft beer experience and growing an audience and using some of the digital um, playbooks there uh, for the consumer side of our business as well. So you'll be able to charge on both the brand side and like the consumer side then, or is it only one side or to be determined still? We're going to keep it free for consumers for as long as we can. Okay. It, the only way we would ever charge consumers, uh, content consumers, is to if we if we're giving them something that requires payment, right? Uh, maybe 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 down the road, like exclusive content or like a VIP experience with the content marketer um, or something along those lines. But we really want to keep it free for the consumers. We plan to monetize, and we are monetizing uh, on the brand side through uh, more robust analytics package and uh, more engagements and um, uh, representation across the platform. Awesome. All right. So backpedaling a little bit, um, you kind of touched on high alpha. I'm familiar myself, but just for anyone out there that doesn't know kind of what is it and what is like the venture studio model? I think it's a little bit different um, and probably some good context to have too, especially going into your fundraise. Absolutely. So high alpha venture studio is part venture capital firm, part accelerator. Um, so we are coming out of the, kind of the accelerator side, although their venture capital side invests into the accelerator and into our business. So essentially what it means is we have more, we're an eight person company right now, but we have the horsepower of a much larger company because the venture studio model offers us shared services across HR, finance, product design, marketing, and go to market. Uh, we get to lean into those shared services. And they help us, you know, they help us get to scale faster. So it's been really awesome. It's an incredibly talented network. I think we're close to, if not the 30th business they've launched out of the studio model. Wow. Um, so there's a lot of lessons learned, a lot of um, scar tissue that they uh, have uh, built up over time that we get to benefit from now. Um, and it, it's been 
really just an incredible entrepreneurial experience for myself and the team. Yeah. Getting to the point of this now is your fundraise. So when you messaged us, I think two or three weeks ago, you mentioned you were just finishing up your deck. Um, you're going to go out to raise. And I think this is your first institutional round. So I guess, where, where are you at specifically in the raise? Absolutely. I had a lot of people tell me ahead of time that fundraising was a full-time job. And I, I was kind of like, yeah, sounds like it. But I, I, in the back of my head, I was like, I, I don't like, doesn't seem like it should be. It seems pretty straightforward. Do your research, find people, pitch, you know, and kind of it's sales process, right? Well, that's when I actually, I slacked uh, visible because I started the research process and it was just like, dead end after dead end of you're looking for like a nugget of information on, you know, hundreds of different websites that are all built differently, constructed differently, use different words to say the same things. And then I found your, uh, visible connect and, uh, that made research so much easier. So, uh, where I'm at right now is I'm in the research stage. I've, uh, created a list that we want to reach out to. I've started to research, uh, for people who can make introductions, uh, to the investors we've identified. And actually next week, we're going to start seeking out those introductions and put the finishing touches on our pitch deck. Cool. Good to hear that um, Connect has been useful. And going to that like initial list building, what were you like looking for in investors? Like, did you have an ideal investor in mind and then kind of backpedaled from there and backtracked or, or what does that look like? And I guess also while we're at it, how many investors are currently on your list. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I, my, uh, I had a little bit of familiarity with the venture capital world. So there are, there are the, some of the classic examples of just firms that I thought would be aspirational to be involved as well as I was looking for firms that had like a B2B to C or kind of our marketplace dynamic. Anybody that had experience with B2B and marketplaces and SaaS, that was a bullseye. And then also firms that had, um, they themselves take content very seriously. I feel like that's a rising trend in the VC spaces, firms having their own content marketing programs. I know those firms I can go into and I don't have to convince them of the value of content marketing. They get it. And then I can just talk about how we support it. Right. And I don't have to spend the time kind of level setting on what is content marketing? Why is it valuable? How do people do it? Um, and I think we can also help those firms as well with our platform. So, uh, that was something I was really looking at, but, uh, visible connect helped a lot with the, um, kind of targeting B2B SaaS marketplace, and then doing some of my own research around content marketing programs. I've created a list of it's slightly over 60 right now. We've got, okay. um, a 60 ish, and then we've got about, you know, people we think can make introductions to about 40 ish of those and about oh, 20 nice. that we'll try to reach out to cold and hope for the best. Nice. And do you have a specific plan or anything for like how you're going to reach out? Are you going to hit up a couple to start? Or are you going to do any specific kind of like outreach plans? I've heard from a lot of people that you don't want to go to your tier one first, right? You want to get some reps in, probably uh, stub your toe a little bit early yeah. on. So I'll start with uh, some friendly, some personal potential strategic angel investors, uh, kind of walk them through the pitch, but also seek out feedback. And then I'll probably go to some of the tier three, tier two um, investors, but I want to get pretty quickly to the investors that can lead obviously. So I want to get through those practice reps as quickly as possible and then start, um, 
getting to some of those tier ones and potential leaders uh, so that we can get them identified first and foremost. Yep, that's spot on. And I'll link to it in this, but I think it's first round has this awesome post and they call it taking on investors in sets, kind of comparing it to like sets of waves, like a surfer. Um, <laughs> and I want to say they recommend like five at a time and you should mix in. I think they say like do a couple tier one, a couple tier two and three in each set. And that way you, if it's early in the race and you actually do hit with a tier one, one early, you're at least creating some momentum there um, and still getting <laughs> your practice reps in then with two and three. So it's interesting. Like you kind of said earlier, you would assume it's pretty cut and dry. It's like you go fundraise, but there really is like a lot of strategy and kind of tactics to, to every step of the process. I, I referenced the sales process earlier. And one of the uh, pieces of feedback I received as I sought out some advice from people I trusted was always be filling the top of funnel. Uh, you know, no matter how late stage you get with other investors, like just keep filling the top of funnel. Um, but I, I love kind of the more strategic um wave or the sets of investors. Uh, I, I know this is an audio podcast, but uh, on video, uh, I was just scribbling down some notes. So uh, that's awesome. I can't wait to read that piece of content. That's that's the type of advice that, you know, I think a lot of people are just figuring out along the way. And um, it's kind of hard to find, uh, admittedly. And that's where I think you just have to have a lot of conversations like this and learn from people who have been through it before. Exactly. And then, yeah, going to your point about the top of funnel too. Um, we interviewed, who was it? Ezra from Starting Line. He's big on fundraising is a relationship-based game. You know, like I really want to have some conviction and know the person before I fundraise with them. So he's like, I need at least, you know, six to 18 months of data points. So it's, he, he likes to start that conversation early. He wants to be in the top of your funnel, like receiving updates and then just kind of get stripped through. And then when you're ready to actually go out and raise, it's like, Hey, I already have, I've been talking to this founder for a year now. Like I've got some conviction and I'm starting to build a, a trend line too. So there is like the always raising and never raising aspect of it, um, which I think is interesting. I can't wait to get to that point. Uh, that's a whole nother layer that I haven't yeah. even thought about yet, but that's, that's uh, certainly sound advice. I'm sure I, I've had some people already that I've talked to a little bit that, you know, yeah, really interested to keep me posted. I'm like, all right, I think I know what that means, but uh, we'll learn along the way. Breaking down then some of the, I guess, like dynamics of your round. So are you, it's the first round of institutional capital for you guys, right? Yeah. So seed round, uh, we're looking to raise 3 million as our okay. target. Okay, cool. Um, and then you don't need to say your valuation or anything, but especially at the seed stage, we hear all the time from founders, like, how do I set my valuation, um, pre-revenue kind of pre-traction metrics. So how do you go about that? Um, I guess the valuation and determining how much to raise. We, given the high alpha model, uh, it's a little bit unique. Our cap table looks different than most uh, businesses at this stage. So there's a little bit of nuance there. Um, we're going to let, we're going to work with that lead, um, investor. We hopefully identify as well as high alpha. We've got a range that we're targeting. Um, but then we're really going to work with that lead on some of the, the different levers we could pull. Maybe I, I know this isn't explicitly what you asked, but what we're really looking for is a lead that understands you asked earlier, are you B2B SaaS? Or are you like marketplace? 
we want a lead who understands that we want to build an audience of content consumers first and foremost we're going to have an arr target but okay. the the primary metric we're going to drive to and we're going to invest against very heavily with this 18 months of runway is growing that member base and so it's about finding the right investor who understands that business model and has a little bit of patience on the arr side because we actually think that'll be a our leading indicator is member growth and our, our lagging indicator will actually be ARR in the short term. And so it's about finding the right partner that um, understands that and has the patience as well as some of the expertise in that type of business model. Got it. Makes sense. So for that member number and determining, I think you said $3 million. So did you kind of say, hey, we want our member number to be at this in 18 months and kind of backfill for like what you would need headcount um, and things like that from there? Exactly. So we've got a target member number, which is uh, we want to be over 60,000, um, 68,000 to be okay. exact. You can tell I've been uh, uh, <laughs> in the numbers. Yes. Um, and we've got a target cost per acquisition. So how we acquire members is a combination of paid and organic marketing efforts, as well as some uh, network effects of our actual product. So a little bit of like product led growth in there as well. Um, and we, we've started with that end in mind and then, yeah, kind of reverse engineered everything from there. Awesome. While we're on the metrics, do you guys have any metrics in place yet that you're even using in your pitch deck or, or what does that look like? We have a number. We, so we have some beta customers, which is great. We have a hundred K in ARR, even pre-launch. We've got, we've got more uh, proposals out right now than we actually have ARR. So our goal this quarter is to double our ARR number, quadruple our member number. So we have over a thousand members and a hundred thousand ARR right now. Our goal for the end of this quarter is, uh, and we're on the February fiscal year, so it's end of October for us, is 4,000 members and 200,000 in revenue. Um, and we'll continue to grow from there. So we, we have members, we have revenue, we have a current CPA or cost per acquisition of that member. And then ACV, those are the four major metrics we're measuring right now, the, the four big levers for our business right now that our team is rallying around and communicating on. Uh, we'll obviously probably get uh, more refined with those numbers as we continue to grow, start considering things like gross margin, payback periods, and all of those uh, fun traditional metrics. But right now, those are the four big numbers we're tracking and sharing with potential investors. Okay. I didn't realize, realize you guys were already generating revenue. So um, that's exciting. And especially when you have the chance to double it in a quarter. We only have a couple minutes. So I think that kind of sets the stage for where you're at in your raise. Are you going to start reaching out and sitting meetings or, or what does that look like? The goal is to next week begin receiving introductions and setting meetings, uh, knowing that'll be, you know, some semblance of back and forth uh, with those individuals and then also finalizing the pitch deck. So we got, I think, our final round of feedback for now on the pitch deck and we want to finalize that by the end of next week. So we get introductions next week, likely meetings starting the following week. And it's full speed ahead there. I'm admittedly, this is something that I felt early in the process. It's felt like hurry up and wait a little bit. And there's some like clunkiness early in the process of what do I do first? What do I do next? But I think once we start receiving introductions and we get into that kind of sales process mode, I, I feel like personally, that's something I'll appreciate and hopefully thrive in. Nice. And then really quick too, on the pitch deck, um, we get quite a bit of questions of just anything pitch deck related. So did you guys draft that internally and then bounce it around to friends and mentors and tweak it in from there? That's exactly what we did in a cautionary tale there. So we, we started with a pitch deck. We did exactly what you said, bounce it around for feedback. 
And what happened was, you know, somebody would say, oh, you should add a slide on go to market. You should add a slide on use case. You should add a slide on customer success. And we're like, oh yeah, that's a great point. We'd add it in. And then we presented it to our board um, yesterday, actually. And they're like, you know, this feels a little Frankenstein. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's because it absolutely is like, duh. Like, why didn't I think about that? You kind of take pieces of advice from everywhere. And if you do it all, you're then you try to connect to these convoluted points or Frankenstein slides. And uh, so, so we're actually, so we started with the deck, it expanded. And now we're retracting some of it back to probably about the size we started with, but it's been a good exercise to make sure we have all those slides are going to end up in the appendix and they're good for Q and a prep. Um, so it's been an interesting process, but, uh, we're, we're really proud with where we're going to end up on that. Love it. Actual last question. We were talking about this before, um, trying to find some type of gauge for your confidence every week. So scale one to 10, where are you at right now? Headed into, to the raise officially. I'll say six. Okay. I am, I'm, I'm supremely confident. We'll figure it out. We'll get it done. Um, but it does feel a little clunky at this stage because it's a lot of prep work. And I think that prep work is intentional. Like I said, I think sometimes made it intentionally more difficult than it needs to be. And I think we're ready to get in a rhythm and kind of start the process and build some momentum. Perfect. All right. That does it for week one. Thank you, Jonathan. And I will talk to you next week. Thank you. That sounds great.